two, one, and we are recording with the one, the only, Dr. Peter McCullough, the master of misinformation, the killer of YouTube channels. If you want to destroy your YouTube channel, have him on. You'll be done in a week. And he's also the author of The Courage to Face COVID-19, Battling Hospitalization and Preventing Death While Taking on the Biopharmaceutical Complex, if I have it memorized, by you and Mr. John Leak. And that is on Amazon. I'll put that in the description. It's a fantastic read. But today, August 10th, 2022, talking about monkeypox, Dr. McCullough, what is it? What do we need to know? Is this just a ruse? Take it away. Well, let's do a deep dive on that. Tommy, thanks so much for having me back on the program you are clearly the heir apparent to the Joe Rogan empire in podcasting. Uh, you know, I must be so toxic that Joe Rogan won't have me back on his show after I've set all records eclipsing even that of Elon Musk. He has a lot of money, but he's not as interesting. You know, I just <laughs> finished up at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee. I'm a moderate. I'm politically I know. Moderate. I know you are. But, but, you know, I took down their whole YouTube presentation from the meeting in Florida. Matt Schlapp wrote me, got lawyers involved. He wrote me. I thought I was in trouble. He invited me back for another round. I was on the stage and I addressed up front with America the word misinformation. I really wanted to get on your show. There is no such thing as misinformation in medicine. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist in the clinical sciences. There simply are scientific data or observations and there's two or more interpretive points of view. Misinformation actually is non-existent in medicine. And, and for one agency or one per person to claim that they own the truth and someone else doesn't, that's actually part of some false narrative. It's part of a, a propaganda campaign. Misinformation needs to be stricken from the record. I am not a master of misinformation. Now, I am a master of clinical science data, and you'll hear me cite it all the way through this interview. Now on to monkeypox. Tommy, are you worried about monkeypox? Am I? No, not at all. Just like what? I still haven't got the COVID vaccine. But why Why are you not worried? Uh, well, because I personally got to interview you and Dr. Malone several times, so I've kind of had the veil pulled back entirely. But on the whole, I think that, I mean, candidly, I think COVID-19 kind of wrecked any faith I have in uh, the traditional institutions that so, so when a warning comes out now you're just you're skeptical is what you're saying yes okay you know i am too and what we know is that the several months ago the world health organization actually declared a worldwide emergency and then now within the last week or so the biden administration declared a national emergency on monkeypox so let me just say something about medical emergencies i'm a doctor i go into a major medical center every day you know, I study this, I take care of patients. Doctors decide medical emergencies, just like the National Weather Service decides weather emergencies. And the, for and the Forest Service declares a forest fire. There is no medical emergency until myself and my colleagues declare a medical emergency. You know, there's not a single doctor who's uttered the word monkeypox emergency. Why? Because right now in the United States, we have about 9,000 cases. And uh, that's well within any type of common disease that we would see anyway, like syphilis or gonorrhea, chlamydia, et cetera. What we know is through papers by Simpson and Beer, 
that there's about a thousand cases per year. They emanate out of the Congo Basin. We had one last year here in Tommy, a young man came from Africa, you know, no sexual transmission. He actually probably got it from an animal. He was minding his own business. He went to Atlanta, Dallas, saw a lot of people, developed the rash. He didn't spread it to anyone. He's easily treated with the drug TPOX or Ticoviramat, which is very safe and effective. It's just a skin rash. That's all it is. Now, fast forward. Uh, and that was published, by the way, by Rao and colleagues, MMWR, April 22nd, 2022 edition. Now, fast forward a year, and we have 9,000 cases in the United States, probably approaching 20,000 cases worldwide. What's happened? It looks like monkeypox has jumped from animal to human transmission and now human to human transition, but in a special way. The human to human transition, uh, transition uh, transmission appears to be like a sexually transmitted disease. And in a paper by Thornhill and colleagues, 98% of cases are in gay or bisexual men. 95% of transmission is male to male sex. And 41% of patients have advanced HIV. The average number of sexual partners in some of these analyses, 10 or more partners. So these skin, the skin rash, which are basically like pustules, it takes a lot of contact. You probably have to break a lot of these pustules uh, in order to transmit it. On my Twitter feed, I show the Thornhill paper, and I do indicate, Tommy, viewer discretion is advised when you see the anal and oral lesions. Okay. And is, I mean, that I guess that's, that's also a reason. I mean, I'm, I'm heterosexual, but... Yeah, I would say primarily it seems like I, I don't have any trust in the traditional institutions. Do you think that and that was something I think that I brought up with you and or Dr. Malone before and that the real casualty of all of this is the much deserved respect and trust that the, you know, arch, arch, archetypical white coat doctor has gained over the last 150 years that's been eroded. That's the real, that's the real victim of this is you've had a, a couple people who have really destroyed something that's been built up over a century and a half. Do you, what's your view on that? So what happens when something big does come along and I'm still going, I don't believe it. And doctors are going, no, this one is real. Do you uh, see I mean, that we, being we, an effect? If we look at what, what was reasonable, you know, when I testified in the U S Senate, in November of 2020, the cases were really advancing. We were actually approaching overloading our hospitals with COVID patients. And we got the message out regarding early treatment. The hospitals began to empty out. Uh, it peaked in uh, early January of 2021, and the crisis was resolved. So if our agencies came out and said, listen, the crisis is over with, we still have some COVID, <clears throat> doctors will manage this, uh, you know, we would have been good. I think everybody would have been good. And things offered, treatments, vaccines, uh, you know, they could be applied uh, based on risks and benefits and informed consent. I don't think anybody would have had a problem. Now enter monkeypox. And we have a situation where, uh, you know, it is largely a sexually transmitted disease affecting very few, a limited group of people. And if we would have just gotten a standard warning, which we get all the time, that says, listen, you know, there's a new disease. It's transmitting like a sexually transmitted disease. Uh, this is how you identify it. Quest Diagnostics has a new PCR this is how you do the test. And then here's the drug, oral or IV T-pox. We better would have been good. But the very first thing we heard, the very first thing we heard was that monkeypox and the very first reaction from the federal government was to pre-purchase vaccines, vaccines. 
wait a minute, a vaccine for a skin rash? Well, what we found out is that Bavarian Nordic is a company that has a live attenuated vaccine, and it was developed to cover smallpox and monkeypox. Now, in a clinical trials program of over 7,000 people over uh, several years, it's actually never pre prevented a case of smallpox or monkeypox. It's only been developed based on causing elevations in antibodies, what's called an a, a, a antibody studies. Now, antibodies are very poor and inadequate surrogates for clinical protection. We've learned this with COVID-19. People can have antibodies and get COVID-19 easily. So this is a house of cards that's built. And the great concern here, it's a live attenuated vaccine. So this is actually the real bug and it's been uh, you know, made less virulent. And in the trials program, uh, there was a giant signal for heart damage, cardiac safety, and the groups that really suffered heart damage, up to 18% of them were patients with HIV. And again, that, you know, that's 41% of the caseload right now. And those who have already had the smallpox vaccine. So the smallpox vaccine was phased out uh, in 1973, 1976 timeframe. But most people age 50 have already had smallpox So in uh, the vaccine. And so in papers by Beer and Simpson, they outline, listen, if you've already had smallpox, you can't get monkeypox. Uh, you, you're protected. So we have a situation where already a huge chunk of the population, people over 50 largely, just people need to check with their parents or their vaccine records. I did. My mom said, sure, you got smallpox vaccine. I'm good. I have no concerns whatsoever. Do you know we had a case at our center recently, Tommy, and um, the residents and staff, they were wearing hazmat suits. They were so afraid of the skin rash. It was astonishing. So you said that to go back, you said that it's, it's, there's been a, it's, it's current method of transmissibility is different than what it used to be that like the well, guy that got it from an animal, it's probably just skin contact. Right. So, you know, it, it, handling uh, monkeys and then certainly handling the giant pouch rat from the Congo basin, that's where the transmission occurred. And we had an outbreak in, the, in 2003 in the United States and giant pouch rats from the Congo basin were intermixed with, with pet prairie dogs. And they actually got the virus and then it transmitted to humans. About four dozen humans got monkeypox. It was, it was an inconvenient rash. Uh, nobody died. There was no significant morbidity and it just cleared up. Uh, so we had some prior animal to human transmission, but we never had human to human transmission until it actually got into someone who went to a gay sex rave in Europe and with a lot of sexual contact and a lot of close contact with many people, then it actually began to spread in that community. That's how the human to human contact transmitted. That's the reason why these papers are so important. We have to be able to cite the literature. If the human to human contact is largely a sexually transmitted disease, then we actually have a great approach, safe sex education, and then early recognition and treatment. But instead, the governments have immediately jumped to a fear-based campaign to make everyone fearful, and then to immediately go for vaccination. And now there's discussion of, guess what, mass vaccination for monkeypox. Now, do you think that that is a, an organic fear of just people 
like me, I'm not a doctor. You know, if I'm the president and they come at me and say there's a new Chinese sub threat, I'm I'm just gonna take hook, line, and sink or whatever they say, which is often the case, right? There's 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 always been cases of of tailored intel briefs for different presidents to play on different fears and different uh, uh, fields of lacking knowledge. Do you think that that fear is organic? You have people. It's just I don't think so, but we'll play devil's advocate. Do you think there are people in these positions of world government that are they would rather they would rather uh, mass vaccinate and not have a an, another pandemic on their backs, or do you? And this is where I go, and I speak for myself. Do you think that this is a continuation of the same beast that we've seen for the last two years, where it's federal governments using their authority to to perpetuate the the required the obligated mandated uh, vaccination? product of these private corporations and it's a revolving door of, of money and power which in in our book can... tommy we in that book we use the word biopharmaceutical mm -hmm. complex which is this very intricate syndicate if you will and at the center of the syndicate is cepi the center or coalition for epidemic preparedness and innovation it was formed in 2017 by the gates foundation and the world economic forum other contributors were there including the governments of norway and india but let me tell you, SEPI has a business plan, dozens of pages. It says there will be disease after disease after disease, and we're going to be ready for it. And our plan is vaccines, only vaccines. No mention of treatment, no mention of prevention, no mention of behavior modification, vaccines. So, you know, it was decided in around 2017 by a worldwide body, which is extraordinarily well-funded, that the response was going to be vaccine after vaccine after vaccine. And let me tell you, the companies that lined up with vaccine products, they have profited handsomely. Think about Bavarian Nordic and the Genios vaccine. Their vaccine has not prevented a single case of monkeypox, yet the revenues are pouring in now because of this pre-purchased type of approach that happens as soon as governments declare an emergency. Remember, if it's not an emergency, then uh, then it has to get approved, and then the insurance companies have to pay for it, and then people have to make decisions. But when you declare an emergency, the government buys it, and then the government uh, administers it, and the companies need no sales force. They have no liability. They have no marketing expense. They simply are a supplier to the government. I mean- if you're if you're a private corporation, I mean that's a beautiful setup. You don't have to pay for that 15 year FDA trial. You don't got to throw in all that advertising money. You don't even got to sell it to doctors. The government's going to kick down doors for you or threaten or threaten to get you fired. So that then pulls up because you did bring this up on your interview with Joe Rogan about you know the um, what was it the spars uh, I guess tabletop war game and. I think you said somewhere on there they you know they were going to do it in like 2025 and they ended up doing it in 2019. Do you see a in an intertwining of that and CEPI and it it's too okay one virus okay COVID nineteen where did it come from did it come from the Wuhan lot I think it did maybe it came from a bat I don't know I'm not a doctor I'm not a virologist. A lot of companies made a lot of money, but a lot of companies also made a lot of money in World War II, which was a genuine fight against Nazis and and the Imperial Japanese. That just happens. That making money that doesn't necessarily mean evil. But when we immediately get another virus, and there's immediately more medical emergencies and massive government bulk purchases, 
Where does your mind go with that? With that, with Seppi, with Spars, where? Do, and I don't want to put any words in your mouth. I obviously speak for myself, but that you start to see patterns, and at the risk of being a conspiracy theorist, which is a toxic term, but to me that just means that yeah, you're making up running theories, which is science. Does it not seem like this is a profit model? Induce fear, release something, make a ton of money, and then the government officials also get to crack down on populations? Or am I am I making conclusions that maybe aren't uh, backed by science? Well, with any type of investigation, we would declare a, a fact pattern. So let's go to SARS-CoV-2 and I think two important historical points. In two papers published in 2015, first author is Menacheri, Benit Menacheri, senior author is Ralph Barrick. The majority of the authors are Americans, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, and other institutions. A few authors are Chinese. In the title of these papers, it says the emergence of SARS-CoV-2 into human populations. This is in 2015. This is published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science and Nature, two of the best journals. So in peer-reviewed medical literature, Tommy, it was announced this is happening. It's announced. And in these papers that was funded, the work was conceived and funded by America, the work done in the Wuhan Biosecurity Lab Level 4. It was conceived that the spike protein would be designed so it can invade the human uh, a respiratory tract. They actually humanized animals' respiratory tract to test it to make sure the virus could invade the human body. And they, they it was mounted, in a sense, on a nucleocapsid. So the spike protein was intentionally engineered by Menacheri, Ralph Barrick, and the team to do this. This is in the open. I'll give you another really great source of a fact pattern. I know you've talked to him, is Dr. Peter Bregan and Ginger Bregan. In their book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey, that book has over 1,100 citations. Our book, my book with John Leake, uh, Courage to Face COVID-19, we have 300 citations, and ours is a story. Uh, uh, Bregan's book is basically the timeline of what's happened. And in the back of Bregan's book, he has listed 36 pandemic preparedness planning sessions, planning events that started since 2012 and actually does include the Menacherian and Barrick research. This was planned. And in these 36 events, 25 of them generated documents that you can just look at. And six of them, Tommy, generated video clips. You can actually watch the video as well as being planned. Now, what's going on is that the U.S. has an interest in bioterrorism. And the NIH division that's interested is called BARDA. And the branch of the military that's interested is called DARPA. And there are programs to anticipate a threat and then to try to come up with an answer. And in the Minichary papers, they anticipated the threat that SARS could invade the human population. And they were actually trying to see if they could make that happen. The answer in the Minichary papers was monoclonal antibodies and vaccines. Now, the vaccine they tried at the time was a killed virus vaccine, but they were trying with this. There are also programs for other threats, including smallpox. There's been a smallpox program for a very long time. The CDC has had in place a smallpox monkeypox response team. So when you pull the Rao paper 
uh, for the man in Dallas, there's 36 authors and they declare themselves the monkey pox response team. So this team was in place long before the world health organization declares an emergency. So in a sense, there's a degree of readiness here. I think it's been sold to the governments to say, listen, we're just trying to contain worldwide threats. But now as these going, I get going, uh, the, the people who are benefiting from this are realizing that this is wonderful. If you can get something declared as an emergency, there is a free flow of funds. And you're right, it's not only just for vaccine companies, but it's to biopharmaceuticals, in vitro diagnostic companies. There's companies that must be making hand sanitizer and making gloves and masks. There's a giant industry. Uh, we have actually spent 10% of the GDP per year on COVID now. You know, we, we didn't come up with 10% more revenues. This is basically just kicked off an inflationary spiral that is out of control right now. So that's the current environment we're in. It's, we call it the biopharmaceutical complex. And the, the disturbing part of this, Tommy, is there's a lack of transparency. And there now appears to be a complete lack of regard for any type of regulatory law, any type of compliance, any type of due process. Everything's off the rails. Yeah, I mean, there are some eerily uh, uh, relevant similarities to the military-industrial complex. I mean, look at the end of World War One; We created the National Defense Intelligence or uh, Industrial Association, the NDIA, which I just learned about like two weeks ago. And it was because we didn't – I never knew this. I, I don't know as much about World War One as I do about World War Two. We didn't scale up our armaments industry – uh, as well as we should have, I, it was actually pretty haphazard. wasn't There weren't as many like uniform distributions of weapons. There were some people. There's you know there's double producing, and then there was like zero producing, and the whole thing was just it was kind of a you know an impromptu thing that we kind of got lucky with. So we we made that to sort of corral all of the armaments industries or private industries that would then be I guess you know not hijacked but taken over during a. Um, uh, uh, whatever the 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 wartime the war the defense manufacturing wartime defense manufacturing which you know FDR is famous for is, is is sort of focusing the entire industrial might of the United States so that we could just outproduce the the Nazi war machine. The point of all of that is is so you could say that actually began with good intentions. World War One was called the Great War for a reason. Never seen anything like it. Hey, we can't get kicked in the ass like this again. Let's do this again. Let's make sure that we're ready. Preparedness. World War II happens. All right. We have this. But now we've got this machine that in on January 17th, 1960 or 61, the sitting president, five-star general and supreme commander of the Allied Forces, Dwight D. Eisenhower, says, beware the military industrial complex and its unwarranted influences in every hall and every city council. So you have something that you could rationally say began with the best of intentions, the National Defense Industrial Association. Preparedness created a machine. And then you have, of course, the insidious evil of, of, of some humans to take this thing and to squeeze it dry. And we've been doing this for 70, 80 years with the military industrial complex. It kind of sounds like that's what you're saying this is. I think that's a very good analysis. Uh, former President Eisenhower warned America, said, listen, this complex, this syndicate of defense contractors and government agencies, it can get so powerful and it can be so self-interested 
that in a sense, they would make up a conflict. They would make up a next war just to keep the engines running. Yeah. And it almost seems like now this biopharmaceutical complex, the same, that in a sense, they're going to declare an emergency, even if it's something easy we can manage in order to kind of keep the engines rolling, keep the mon- money flowing. Uh, they literally have found a way to tap treasuries dry. You know, yeah. there's no omnibus reconciliation. There's no government uh, accounting principles. It's simply an announcement that, and gosh, how do they know how to determine price of these products? Uh, what about the returns? Uh, what about uh, manufacturing standards? Uh, we know with COVID, with Pfizer and Moderna, millions of lots were returned because there's particulate matter that's found in it. I mean, it's, they're, they're just racing to produce these novel vaccines and you know, great concerns over quality standards. With the COVID-19 vaccines, 80% of the complications, including deaths, are occurring with specific lots. And so recently in Washington, I was at the crony capitalism meetings led by Senator Ron Johnson. I was there with Pierre Corey and Robert Malone and many dignitaries in Washington. Johnson pointed this out. He's, he's got a manufacturing background. He goes, listen, we've got a manufacturing problem in some way, shape, or form. You don't have 80% of the complications linked to specific lots of a product. That, that would be the similar to a car, Tommy. If we had a new car and there were specific cars coming out with specific VIN numbers uh, and that car suddenly blew up on the road, they would be tracing what's wrong with these cars. And that's not what we're seeing. So, yeah, I mean, to keep the machine going, I mean, the military industrial complex, it's, you know, you have things that maybe you argue were in the best of interest. Was it Zbigniew big new Brzezinski uh, operation cyclone funding the Mujahideen to fight the Soviets, to drain them dry in Afghanistan, Mujahideen, you know, on the front paper, freedom fighters, they later became Al-Qaeda and, you know, took down the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. Uh, Operation Sycamore Timber, where the CIA was running guns to rebels that would then become ISIS. And then we have to go fight ISIS. I mean, there are precedents for this. It's not tinfoil hat, declassified documents. Not only is there a similarity with the biopharmaceutical uh, industrial complex, but there's also, it's not just similarity. You might even be able to argue that it's a direct, the reason why it looks so similar is because it's the child of the MIC, the military industrial complex. Look at post 2001, uh, BARDA, DARPA, DITRA. All of this was, you know, the idea of having a readily available vaccine because we don't know what terrorist is going to use what weapon next. Is it going to be a plane into a building? Is it going to be some designer protein? You have this thing. That almost like the NDIA in 1919, you have this thing in 2002, 2003, we're going to have this ready. We're not going to let 9-11 happen again. It's not that it's similar to the military industrial complex. It's that it's a subsidiary of it. It's directly involved with the Pentagon. Well, you know, your analysis is quite good because clearly DARPA is a military outfit. And I can tell you there are worldwide collaborators. Do you know that on the Moderna pivotal randomized trial published in the New England Journal of Medicine, one of the prominent Communist Chinese Party military leaders is an author. I mean, this is in the open. I mean, the, the, the other thing that goes along with this biopharmaceutical complex, military industrial complex, is conflict of interest, the intertwining of interests. And people have said, well, are people in the United States government, are they being paid by pharma? You know, I don't know if that's the case or not, but I can tell you 
once they do their time in a U.S. government agency, they sure get pretty good jobs with pharma afterwards. You know, uh, a former FDA commissioner, Scott Gottlieb, mm-hmm. is on the board of Pfizer, and he's out there advising America as a frequent contributor on CNBC. We have uh, another former uh, FDA chairman, Stephen Hahn. He joins the venture capital firm funding Moderna. How about this one? This one takes the cake. Uh, billionaire, French billionaire, Stéphane Bainzel, who's leading BioMeru. That's the company commissioned by Jacques Chirac to build the biosecurity lab in Wuhan, China. So Banzel is the mastermind with BioMeru, a large in vitro diagnostic company, to build the Chinese biosecurity lab. Once he builds the lab in 2015, within five days, he changes companies, and this billionaire joins a one-person company in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Moderna. And then Moderna co-owns the patent on the COVID-19 vaccine, which was conceived well before COVID-19 became a crisis, and Bainzel is at the helm. This is all in the open. People have to read these books. You know, John Leake in our book outlines that is completely concordant with Peter Bragan's book. Um, uh, uh, Scott Atlas has written about what happened in the interior of the White House. Robert F. Kennedy has written about the history of uh, 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 Anthony Fauci, the National Allergy, Immunology, Infectious Disease Branch Director. Uh, uh, Naomi Wolf has written a bestseller about uh, the principles of autonomy and and where has this come where we're losing, losing our bodily autonomy? You know, there's, there's really a small library of books, but those who are reading books are having their eyes open. You know, these books are now, you go on airplanes and people are reading them because it's a story, Tommy. It's a story. It's a crime that's going on on a mass scale. Uh, in our book, we outline simply the suppression of early treatment. We're not even into the vaccines. That's going to be our second book. But the crimes are fraud. The American... Uh, people and people worldwide have been defrauded by the biopharmaceutical complex. And the second crime is mass negligent homicide, that through the suppression of early treatment, countless people's lost their lives and were hospitalized. Now, those are the crimes. Who are the um, victims? Patients, uh, doctors who tried to defend the patients, their family members. Who are the perpetrators? The perpetrators were the biopharmaceutical complex, this, this syndicate that I've mentioned and includes U.S. Uh, government agencies. CDC and FDA and NIH are proximate parts of the syndicate. What was the motive for the crime? What was the motive to actually suppress early treatment? Mass vaccination. The vaccines are the motive for crime number one, and that's suppression of early treatment. And then, so you have to start looking at it then and go, well, what is the purpose for the mass vaccination? I mean, and back to what you said about uh, uh, paying off. Yeah, I know that that happens all the time, right? Ex-NSA directors and FBI directors will go to will go to Quest Diagnostics or they'll go to, you know, SAIC or Northrop Grumman or something. Yeah, it's a revolving door. It's a machine. It's a well-oiled machine. You could almost say the biopharmaceutical industrial complex is the next natural outgrowth because military industrial complex, that's sloppy. You're fighting another nation. So you have another group of people who are vocally saying, hey, this is a machine. And then there's also it pull even the the darkest of people, the most nationalistic of people. You still can't help and look at someone, even if they're on the other side of the world and they don't look like you, 
we see a woman crying with a kid with no legs, it pulls at something deep inside of you. You have you that's just a human thing. This is genius in that it's one, you don't have an opposing nation. They're all in on it together. So you don't have anyone vocalizing, right? I mean, that's the kind of oligarchy. And then another, you don't have someone to look to and you feel bad for. You don't go, oh man, what are we doing? We're killing a million civilians in Iraq. What are we doing? You look at this and it's beautifully, it's evil, but it's beautifully designed. If you don't do this, you're killing grandma. If you don't do this, it's for your own health. So it's, there's no nation opponents to keep any sort of balance of power or opposing narratives. And then it's also, it's, it's not in your interest in the same way. It's in our interest to contain communism. That's a hard sell. You're in Vietnam. What am I doing? This is a lot easier to say, you're killing grandma. What are you doing? It's a brilliant machine. It's an absolutely brilliant machine. But then it, it all comes back to, and you talked about it on Rogan too. It all comes to this focal point of, you know, well, why are we in the Middle East? Come on, there's oil. This focal point is vaccination. To me, the the, the trillion dollar question then is, is this about just profit? Is it about, you don't even really need to pay off government officials because the government's getting something out of it. Erosion of civil liberties, normalization of censorship. Uh, if you don't, if you disobey the government, you're going to lose your job, your way of life, your way to provide for your family. Is it a mode of control? Is it something where they are going to gradually alter the makeup of people? And I'm not not to go way off in a left field, but there are easier ways to make money than mass vaccination. The military industrial complex did it pretty well. You just got to go bomb some people. Do you think that there is a more nefarious motive behind it? I don't know what that is. Is it sterilization? Is it is it eugenics? Because you could aim it at certain groups of people, right? We all have different genetics. You could take out black people. You could take out Korean people. You could take out white Americans. Or is it just a top-down system of control designed to be in your own self-interest? Not that you have a crystal ball, but what do you think the motive behind mass vaccination is? Boy, I tell you, that's the toughest <laughs> question of all. Yeah, I was asked that by Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, Tommy Kerrigan. Uh, let me say this much. There's 16 vaccines that are either on the market or in development, and they are varied. So let's take one of the first ones, Sinovac Coronavac vaccine. That's just a killed virus vaccine. That was the very first one that Menacheri found. Now, it does little or nothing to provide immunity. In the Menacheri papers, it basically just caused some lung inflammation because the virus is being given back to the body. But that one's been featured in China, through Asia, Southeast Asia, South America, Argentina, Chile, has nothing to do with genetics, has nothing to do with you know, the high dollars of Operation Warp Speed. That's the Coronavac, Sinovac vaccine. It's one of the bigger vaccines. India, uh, for instance, uh, heavy use of that. Okay, you have that vaccine. We've got the, the Novavax and Corbivax vaccine, which are antigen-based vaccines, just giving a little bit of the spike protein or even, even less with Corbivax, just a receptor binding domain in a matrix. No genetics involved. Novavax comes along. The EU approves it, gets it going. Australia approves it, gets it going. You have Novavax, a small US company, 800 employees, a pretty honest briefing booklet. They say, listen, it does provide protection with the legacy variants, probably doesn't work now, but they honestly disclose some heart damage, myocarditis, and blood clots in the briefing booklet. 
in Europe, there's about a thousand Novavax deaths. So it's very transparent. And uh, so we got that rolling. To me, the most interesting question is, why has the U.S. now stuck strictly with the genetic vaccines, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson? You know, outside the United States, we additionally have AstraZeneca. Why have the, the first world countries basically stuck with the genetic vaccines? And even Novavax winning the vote for EUA approval there's been a slow walking of Novavax the entire time. No word on its commercialization. No word on when it's going to get to CVS or Walgreens. Uh, no activity updating the consent form for Novavax. So what is it about the genetic vaccines? This is really disturbing. Uh, you know, brand new genetic vaccines uh, offer an opportunity for misadventure we've never seen before because they basically give the genetic code for the spike protein, but there's no control over the quantity and the duration of spike protein. For the first time, it's a vaccine, but no control over antigenic stimulation. Very different than Corvivax, Novavax, and, and, and the Sinovac vaccine. So this wild, uncontrolled genetic vaccine is the program for the United States. And the only thing we hear about now is new, um, basically, multivalent vaccines that will have some code for the spike protein and some for the modified Omicron spike protein. My concern is that, is that there's something, there's some weddedness to the genetic technologies, which is very worse. And we have one paper suggesting that there is reverse transcription. Uh, the, the senior investigator on the paper is Yang D. Marenis from Malmo, Sweden. And it was demonstrated in her lab that Pfizer in a human hepatoma cell line at least the middle 444, what's called the amplicon, the reporter region that they know they could show up uh, when uh, looked for in human chromatin, it got into the nucleus and in the human genome within six hours, Tommy. Within six hours, this was lightning. And the enzyme that does the work lining up base pairs against Pfizer is line one, a human reverse transcriptase. So that paper is very solid. When that one got in the literature, it was instantly vaporized wherever it showed up on Twitter and social media. They were waiting for that one. Remember, the CDC says the vaccines do not change the human genome. And this work by the group in Malmo, Sweden, shows that, in fact, it does alter the human genome. Now other labs are racing forward to confirm it. This is not good news. That means that if this is true, everybody who's taken a genetic vaccine now will never get rid of the code for the Wuhan spike protein, which is the most disease-promoting protein we've ever seen in human medicine. Um, on that line of thinking, I've interviewed two or three times Dr. Adity Bargava, uh, the head of mRNA research at UCSF Medical School. Um, and again, like you said there at the beginning, you know, you spoke at CPAC, but you know, you're a moderate. Dr. Bargava is about as far left as you get. She worked on the Biden campaign and she came on the podcast because she said she was personally disgusted with a president saying this is the, the disease of the unvaccinated. But that's not the point I'm making. She came on. Uh, I think the third time she came on was specifically in the wake of uh, I think she emailed me actually to come on. It was in that paper, right? The They did it in the liver cells, which is, I think, what you said, Hepato. I'm a little rusty the liver cells about how it is affecting your DNA and how quickly it was squashed. She came on and talked about that. That is the, 
I forget who said it. There was some researcher that said it. And it's uh, like the problems with uh, reaching the truth in any sort of scientific evaluation. And the first is a lacking of critical thinking skills. That's either you're a child and you haven't gone to school or you've kind of just gone through your whole life just reading and doing the next thing. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you're not critically thinking at new, new, you know, you're not pulling a Thomas Edison. You're not trying to figure out how to do this thing. The second is peer pressure, groupthink. Or are you a conspiracy theorist? And then the third is horror at the implications. And that's the third. And I know it's a, a wild stretch and it's a it's a pearl clutching dramatic stretch, but I think about Ordruff, O H R D R U F, the first concentration camp liberated. That's bad enough. World War II. POWs, that's not a new thing. Political prisoners, that's not a new thing. Death camps, unfortunately, weren't a new thing. It's bad enough that you find these people with numbers on their shirts and on their sleeves. That's bad. The implication that when you find a second camp and you go, oh my God, there's a system of these, the mind shuts down. You can't you can't accept it. I mean, I'm reading about guys that helped liberate uh, concentration camps and they didn't talk about it for 50 years because it breaks their mind down. Now, I know that's a dramatic example and I'm not trying to say that this that's what this is. But it's either the lack of critical thinking skills, it's peer pressure, or it's horror at the implication. Why are first world countries wedded to the genetic vaccines? Why is there slow walking of the of the non-genetic vaccines. You almost don't want to look at it. You go, is this is this eugenics? Is this sterilization? Is this maybe it's just profit driven? Maybe they're weakening the immune system so that they can bring out a new wave of products for weakened immune systems. Regardless, you really, and I'm I'm guilty of it, you have to go out of your way to look away from it and go, no, it can't be that. But that's how this stuff happens is because you go, there's no way. There's no way that's what this is. And it, I'm not saying what it is. You're not saying what it is. But there is that horror where you go, why is this being walked out? Why are they saying it doesn't affect the DNA? And then it does affect the DNA. Why were there patents for this years before? Why did they talk about this in SPARS? Why did a year to the day before monkeypox came to the U.S. did Bill Gates run a monkeypox tabletop exercise? I don't know. I'll let the listener draw your own conclusions, but it, I mean, it, it's, this seems like pure evil. I don't think it's just money. You know, Tommy, that's a, I think that's a very, very good analysis and it has some deep, psychological ramifications. One of the things I'm seeing among physicians, we know that doctors, 96% of them took the vaccines. Most of the doctors took it with no critical thinking whatsoever. They were asked to take the vaccine. They went out in the the lobby, they rolled up their sleeves and they took a vaccine. What we know now is uh, the data on the harms of the vaccine is pouring in. The World Council for Health on June 11th, 2022, issued a recall, says take them off the market. The safety systems, the U.S. VAERS, UK Yellow Card, EU UDRA, and WHO Vigisafe together are certifying over 40,000 deaths that have happened shortly after taking the vaccine. And that's a gross underreporting. That may be 1% of 
reality. They, um, uh, this has exceeded all deaths of all products ever released in the medical history. So this is setting all records and doctors have taken it. They've taken it. And many doctors continue to take it. And I, and I can tell you to a one, the doctors don't want to talk about it. They have a sense of, oh my Lord, what have I done to my body? What's going on? Uh, and I see this all the time. As soon as we get into a conversation and once it's clear that someone's taken the vaccine, they simply can't psychologically grapple with what's going to happen to their body. I've been in military court and the JAG attorneys, they start to visibly tremble when I describe what the vaccine is doing to the human body. They're trembling because they took it themselves, Tommy. They know, and, and actually this is mentioned in one of the interviews I gave at CPAC, people asked me about the military. And I said, I think the, the mandatory vaccines are weakening the military in three ways. The first way is that the vast majority of the soldiers, if they had their choice, they wouldn't take it. So when you force something into someone's body against their will, you mentally break them. You remember in the military, the methods are to break somebody down and then build them up stronger. But now we're breaking them down with this vaccine. The second point is we're weakening them physically. And in a recent Zogby survey, Zogby, a very reputable survey company, they surveyed a huge sample size. Two-thirds of people took the vaccine. Sadly, 15% of people who took the vaccine have some, some new medical problem, 15%. That means 15% of our military, whether it's expressed or not, they've got some new medical problem that's nagging. Headaches, their ears are ringing, a blood clot, heart damage, a skin rash, you know, can't walk or run correctly. I mean, it goes on and on. And then the third way the vaccines are injuring the military is that out of 2.7 service people in administration, there's about a quarter million that aren't taking the vaccines. And you know what's happening to them? They have the strongest minds and the strongest bodies. They're being thrown out or mm -hmm. they're walking out. So there's three ways our military is being dramatically weakened by the vaccine program. And there's no evidence that the vaccine program is strengthening us whatsoever. The vast majority of the military are young, they're fit, they're strong. They've already had COVID-19. And ineptly, our military is not even keeping track of who's had the illness. And then you have to look at that and you have to go, so what's the end goal of that? A weakening of the U.S. military. Is that a new form of asymmetric warfare? Maybe it's not, but that's a, you're, you're taking out the strongest minds, the independent thinkers. You're taking out the strongest people physically, destroying their hearts. And anyone, you're the best of the best, you're removing them. So not only do you have broken people, you are taking away anyone that is a strong enough person to do it on their own and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to not follow that order. So that is a, you know, who would want that to happen? Any of our, any of the nation's enemies, but it is, and I guess we'll, I know you got to run, so we'll wrap this up, but back to what you're saying about, you know, people not wanting to acknowledge doctors, military officials, JAG officers about taking the vaccine is the worst part about it is one a lot of them are just trusting your doctor, which you should. I, I don't I don't question the pilot when I get on the plane. I just assume the guy knows what he's doing and that he doesn't want to plow it into a mountain. All right, all right, cool. 
that's I don't I don't question the engineer of the apartment I'm in. I don't I just assume this stuff's going to work, right? I don't think my microphone's going to explode in my face. I just assume there's some sort of regulation. So that's just okay. Like you're you're allowed to do that in a hypermodern inter- interdependent society where we're not all hunter gatherers. We have specializations. I don't need to know how to my, how my refrigerator works. It just does. I assume the meat at the at the subway where I get a sandwich is not riddled with whatever. The second thing is that there are a lot of people who I think were probably hesitant, but they looked at it as a patriotic and a humane duty to where like, I'm not sure what this thing is, but it's for all of us. And it's like, Hey, you know, I, okay. You know, grandpa did it in world war two. Maybe I can take a vaccine, you know, and it's, that's a noble thing. You And, and then third is people going, I'm going to do it because I will not lose my job. I will do anything to put food on the table for my son and daughter and wife. Those are the people that got taken advantage of. And it's that much more insidious. It's the no, best people got taken advantage of. I completely of. agree. Tommy, we're going to have to leave it there. Yep. But this has been a wonderful interview. We've covered a lot. I hope in the title, <laughs> you work in biopharmaceutical complex or something like yeah. that. Since I think we've really laid it out. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to jump on another show, but bring me back soon. Yeah, you're Dr. McCullough. This is your podcast. I just, I just moonlight when you're not here. Dr. Uh, Peter McCullough. I love you, brother, author of The Courage to Face COVID-19. It'll be in the description. Go to his Twitter. Go to his Substack. Go to everything he's on. It's whatever. And um, I will have you back on as soon as you want. I love you so much. You're the best, the best, the most published cardiorenal physician in world history. He's not a master of disinformation. He's clearly a walking, talking medical encyclopedia. Dr. McCullough, thank you so much, sir. God bless.